Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series on sexuality and the mission of God. If you missed Scott's sermon last week, uh, it was a really critical part of this series. It was kind of part two to our look at homosexuality, and I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that. I think it was a very helpful sermon looking at how even within the church, there are varying degrees of disagreement, either as affirming, not affirming ways that we do or don't affirm people who are walking through homosexuality. So we'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that. And also for those of you, I'm just going to say real quick, who are maybe hesitant to go back because you're like, oh, the Redemption podcast hasn't been updated in a million years. I'm not going to go try to find that. It is now being updated every week by our excellent administrative assistant, Lauren, who's doing a fantastic job. Absolutely, we can clap for Lauren. Absolutely. Is Lauren in here? She's probably hating me right now. She's serving, yes, of course. Anyway, so our, our podcast is weekly being updated. Normally by Sunday night, Monday morning, you can go back and listen to sermons. So first off, thank Lauren, and also go listen to Scott's sermon. A recent documentary, though, from June of 2022, has taken the world by storm. And now, over a year later, this documentary is still wrecking havoc on the internet, on media spaces. This documentary is being heralded by some as incredible, groundbreaking, and others are saying, this is hateful, this is cyberbullying, this is lacking empathy. This documentary seeks to answer one question. What is a woman? What is a woman? You can watch the documentary if you want, make your own opinions on it, but the question is a worthy question. And it needs an answer. What is a woman? How do you define womanhood? How do you define gender? How do we know what gives somebody the right to declare themselves a man or a woman or something else altogether? This, today in our series, we want to look at the topic of transgenderism and ask, how do we, as a family of servant missionaries, Engage in this topic in light of the story of God and in light of the clarity that God has given us in his word. So I'm going to read a brief passage for us in Genesis 1, which you can turn there if you'd like or just listen, and then we're going to jump into this. Genesis 1, verse 26, 27, and then verse 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we want to pause at the outset and ask for your help. God, this topic is weighty. This topic has been weighty on my soul and Scott's soul and many of our souls as we've sought to rightly understand our culture and walking alongside people, yet also recognizing what has God said and what is true regardless of what culture says. And so God, we ask for your help now. I personally ask for your help, God, as this has been a tough week of prep and trying to wrap our arms around this and in many ways, not even just this week, but over these months as we've been preparing for some of these harder topics. God, you have met us, you've been faithful, and I want to publicly, Jesus, thank you for the grace you've given. But now, God, as we jump into this topic over these next couple of minutes, we ask for grace, for understanding, for insight, for unity, for discernment. 
ask Jesus that you would convict us, even where our own presumptions have maybe wrongly informed us on this topic. So Jesus, we ask for your help now so that we could be your people, that you would use this short time this morning and this Sunday gathering, that you would use this to equip us to be your people who are part of your mission here in Hampton Roads. In Jesus' name, amen. Depending on how much you do or don't read the news or engage in issues and topic, uh, topics like this, this issue of transgenderism is becoming one of the leading and dominant cultural issues of our day. And interestingly, this, this is not a Christians versus everybody else issue. Because many, many non-Christians have incredibly varied views on this issue. So for us today, the first thing that I want us to do is just ask, what is happening right now? in our transgender moment in history. Just what is happening? This isn't going to be opinion. This isn't going to be even diving into God's word. Just what are things that we are seeing in what many are calling our transgender moment in history? Well, within the last decade, we have seen a major increase in stories and reporting and data coming out of everyone from athletes to movie stars to everyday people who are identifying as transgender. The recent Miss Netherlands contest in which women compete in a celebration of being a woman, they compete in a celebration of womanhood, this contest was just won by a biological man who identifies now as a woman. So that means a biological man has bested women at being women. A trans woman has just also recently been named Woman of the Year. The reality of our transgender moment, though, is absolutely affecting adults, but the primary arena where we are seeing a very aggressive move is being lived out in the lives of very young children and teenagers. In recent years, there's been a huge spike in the number of teens who identify as transgender, who are requesting hormone treatments, who are requesting sex reassignment surgery. In some schools, whole peer groups are coming out at once as transgender. And as recently as June of 2023, literally a couple months ago, current statistics show that 30% of teens identify as either trans or LGBTQ plus identifying. A recent practice in schools across the country has been to help children understand trans and sexual ideology through use of a cartoon-looking creature called the gender unicorn. I think there's a picture of it. This fun-looking unicorn, what it does is it deconstructs sexuality into five separate factors that all can contradict each other. And it's designed to appeal to kids, and ultimately what it's showing is that we are not a unified self. We have these different parts and we can pick and choose whichever one we think we identify with best. And sadly, as this is being used in schools, parents often are not even allowed to know which gender their kids pick and how they identify sexually. But much more broadly, what we're seeing in this transgender moment in our country is that even in our doctor's offices, in laws, the transgender moment is on the move. Parents are told now, if your child comes out as trans, you have two choices. I mean, this is literally being told to parents. Let them transition or they will commit suicide. You have two options. This is what's going to happen. Either let your children take hormones, hormone blockers, get a sex reassignment, or else they will commit suicide. Parents are being told that from doctors. And sadly, just read this in a journal article the other day, there are no doctors who will do anything but agree with a child who wants to identify as trans. Even though there's no science or even a way to medically diagnose that in somebody, other than just that's what people say. And part of the reason, though, that they we're seeing that shift happen, even in public spaces, even in schools, even in doctor's offices, is because we now have a legal system 
where this has actually grabbed hold at the very roots. There are laws being passed that treat our sexual attraction and our gender as a protected category in the same way that race or religion are a protected category. These are called SOGI laws, S-O-G-I, sexual orientation and gender identity laws. These laws assume, and again, this is just in the law itself, that body and personhood are a separate reality and that you can indeed be born in the wrong body. But within these new SOGI laws, People can claim to be whatever gender they want, but they don't need to show any evidence of that. They don't need a diagnosis for that. There's no legal documentation required for that, no medical treatment, no change in appearance required. You can be whatever gender you want. So imagine the impact that would have on spaces, bathrooms, locker rooms, elder care facilities, sports leagues, Fill in the blank. So what this means is that gender identity legally does not even have a quantifiable sense to it. The reality of gender exists in your mind and in your feelings, and the legal system is acting on that. So you can see in, this is just our transgender moment that we find ourselves in right now. Culturally, sports, school, medicine, our legal system, there's nothing off limits. But here's the thing. Maybe you're shocked at this. Maybe you feel alarmed. The goal of understanding this transgender moment is not to cause some kind of shock and awe. This is not to create a, there's the bad guys, here's the good guys. Because the reality is, these things are happening these things are at work right now in our country. But do you know who's not in shock and awe? God's not in shock and awe. God is not wringing his hands over what is happening. So then the question becomes, how do we as the church, as the people of Jesus living in this transgender moment, how do we take up our place in the story of God, in this time. That's what we want to look at today. How do we, as the people of Jesus, as the church, the body of Jesus, how do we pick up our place in the story? That's what we want to look at today. We want to ask, not only how do we just understand culturally what's happening, but what does it mean for people who are truly experiencing these transgender feelings? What is that experience like? What does it mean for God and his people to come around people who are experiencing those feelings? So that's where we're going to go. So we looked at what's happening in our transgender moment. Well, let's ask, how do we understand the people who are actually living in this moment? What does it mean to experience the feelings of being transgender? I want to tell you about a little boy named Brandon. Brandon was a quiet, sensitive, and compliant boy from birth. He wasn't interested in playing with guns or sticks or trucks. He preferred playing imaginary games with his toy animals, acting out complex interpersonal relationships. And from a very early age, this little boy sensed that he was different from all of his friends. He would be what's called gender non-conforming. He preferred the company of girls. He didn't relate to the boys who talked about sports. And often, though, sadly, the girls would not accept him either. Brandon felt agonizingly out of place, so he concluded, God should have made me a girl. I'm in the wrong body. Sadly, in his school, his classmates organized a Christian manhood group, but it simply stressed stereotypical male virtues like leadership and assertiveness. And it gave no room for men who were more caring or nurturing. For Brandon and many other boys, girls, men, women like him, they are experiencing what is now being called gender dysmorphia. It's a medical term, gender dysmorphia. So let's look at the feelings of gender dysmorphia. 
The feelings of gender dysmorphia mean that you experience a difference in what you sense and feel in your body, which is different from your birth sex. So your emotional, your psychological sense of who you are does not line up with your sex as male or female. One way to put it is the story of your body does not line up with the story of who you believe you are. And this is where you can fight me on this if you want, but people are not making this up. People aren't making this up. This is real. This is a real condition that people have. This reality of gender dysmorphia is real. People are not choosing to just have these feelings. A transgender woman named Andrea Long Chu, who wrote an excellent article in the New York Times about her experience as a transgender woman who was about to transition. Right before her surgery, she wrote an article, and she writes that gender dysmorphia feels like being unable to get warm no matter how many layers you put on. It feels like hunger without an appetite. It feels like grieving. It feels like having nothing to grieve, though. Another woman described it as feeling like you are failing at your gender. It's like being forced to play a sport that you don't want to participate in. And what's incredibly sad is that many people suffer with this experience in their bodies for years in silence. This is heartbreaking. It's a feeling of alienation and loneliness. For many, sexual trauma is often at the root of some of these feelings. Imagine, imagine going through this as a teenager. As complex and difficult as the teenage years are, feeling like you can't talk to anyone, that no society or community or people want you. That's where it's very interesting then, that for many who experience these feelings, they then encounter a community, a promise that they can trade in their awkward loneliness for belonging. And that's what the trans community offers people. Trade in your awkward loneliness for belonging. So friends, this is the real life lived experience of many, many people. So if this is what people experience and feel, then let's dig into this story. Let's unpack the trans story and see, okay, so what are they actually telling people? You have these feelings. This isn't just our moment, but here's what it means to walk in this. What then are actually people being told who experience these transgender feelings? People who experience this, who enter the trans community, are told that there is no connection between your body and your gender identity unless you want there to be. Today, the accepted and prescribed help in the trans world and the trans community is, to help pe- is not to help people change their feelings or their gender identity to match their body, but rather you change your body through hormones, through surgery, to match your feelings. In other words, if you sense a disconnect between body and mind, the mind wins and the body is seen as irrelevant. Sadly, for many, the body is just an accident that has befallen me. And the very existence of things like our biological sex, physiology, anatomy, chromosomes, DNA, are less real than our subjective feelings, which often do change. One non-binary woman in a BBC interview said, it doesn't matter what living meat skeleton you've been born in, it's what you feel that defines you. I think that quote there truly captures, in one sense, part of the deepest drive of the transgender community. And interestingly, if you've been with us in our series and have kind of been connecting some of the dots, we've been seeing that culturally, we live in a day where facts and data are split up from values. We live in a day where your personhood is distinct from your body. 
what you feel internally, we are told, is actually who you are in your body. It's just a physical substance you can use however you want. Gender, as you see in this body-person divide, gender has become a postmodern, indefinable, malleable, fluid category severed from biological facts. Gender has nothing to do with having a male or female body. And again, interestingly, if you go back in our series, Scott and I have walked through how, because of philosophers such as Marx, Nietzsche, Kant, because we have landed this moment of expressive individualism where the greatest morality is being truly authentic to who you believe you are, in one sense, we shouldn't be surprised now to see that facts and values are split, that we are not an integrated, embodied existence, but we are a split existence. Gender is a category. It's not an attribute. It's a variable. It can shift. Again, so like in our series, we've looked at how that impacts hookup culture. Your body is just a physical thing. It doesn't matter what you do with your body, so sleep with whoever you want. If you feel attracted to the same sex, disregard what your body is biologically. What you feel in your brain is reality, so do whatever you want. And now we're seeing the same thing at work in the transgender discussion. Your feelings are what define you and tell you who you are. And ultimately, the transgender community genuinely is seeking to serve and help people but ultimately, what they are telling people is that individuals are a sovereign self, able to choose whatever they want and not tolerating any limits based on whatever you deem to be in your best interest. And often, people are told, well, why do you care so much? They're not hurting you, right? I mean, if people want to do that, if people want to get a sex reassignment surgery, let them do what they want. Let people have gay marriage if they want. Let them sleep with whoever they want. Why do you care so much? It's a great question. So let's consider, where does transgender theory actually lead us? Does this truly lead to flourishing for all people? So where does transgender theory ultimately lead us? We would all agree, I think everybody would agree on this, that we must protect the rights of men and women, regardless of their belief in God, regardless of whatever they believe in. But that would mean you actually have to be able to define what a man or woman is in order to protect those rights. But transgender theory and postmodern thinking tells us that the body itself is just a social construct. It doesn't matter. So it's impossible to argue then that you have rights based on being a man or a woman. So right away, specifically for women, women's rights are out the door. As I mentioned earlier, under some of these new laws being passed, these SOGI laws being passed, gender theory has so dominated our world, as I already mentioned, that you don't even need any type of documentation, change in appearance, to even identify as that. So you have access to any woman's or man's space that you want. That doesn't really sound like it's protecting people. Yeah, there, there's, yeah, there's more stories, but I'm going to move on. We can't protect women's rights. I'll just say this. Women's rights specifically, if it doesn't even mean anything to be a woman. And what's interesting is it doesn't stop there. That's literally just the beginning of where trans ideology, trans theory takes us. Because once it is in the, law, in the hands of the government, the hands of the law, the hands of the state, to tell us our status as men or women, that means that they define every other relationship. You think you have rights as a husband or a wife? If the state says you do, you think you have rights as a child of a parent? If the state's cool with that and our cultural moment says yes, 
Friends, the trickle-down just begins at that point. A society with no grounding in gender is a society where our very biological ties to our family are only given to us if the state tells us so. And I'm not at all trying to bash the state, be anti-government, let's all become libertarians or whatever. This has nothing to do with that. Because both liberals and conservatives are actually seeing that happen. This means that if the state deems you, as a parent, spouse, or child, not worthy of your familial rights, or deems you as a spouse as not affirming of the current views, then they step in and tell you how your relationship works. And sadly, there are already stories of this happening where because of this trickle-down, because of this trickle-down of trans ideology, parents are actually losing their rights and access to their children, both in our country and specifically in Canada as well. Because these laws are now redefining reality, that means that parents actually can't even have like, rights to their children. There's no such thing as human rights unless the state tells you so. Inalienable rights that we just have intrinsically as humans are only there if whatever the ruling authority says they are. So that's where, again, you, the trickle-down continues from there. That's where the pursuit and protection of queer and transgender rights, of letting people be able to define reality however they want, it actually is hurtful to society. It does not lead to flourishing. But, but, what if the very opposite, the very opposite of trans ideology is actually true? What if our bodies that we live in are not disconnected from who we are? But what if our bodies actually give us clues and wisdom to who we are? What if our identity is not defined by whatever our feelings in the moment tell us or our culture tells us, but what if our identity is defined by the goodness and affirmation of the body and not by the denial of the body? Think about that. What if what we heard in Genesis 1 God's intent and design, not only is it God's design, but what if God actually meant it when he said, this is good. Male, female, this is good. What if, even if you are one struggling with gender dysmorphia, what if you began to explore your gender by taking cues from your body and asking, what does it mean to be a man or a woman in this body I have been given? What if God actually intended my body not to be cast off and ignored, but actually gave me this body as an expression of his goodness? What if? One psychologist and theologian named Nancy Piercy writes, contrary to what postmodern gender theory says, there is greater diversity and inclusivity when we anchor our psychosexual identity in the objective, scientifical scientifically knowable reality of our biology as male and female. As we've already looked at in this series, what if our bodies themselves are a whole reservoir of meaning out of which we know who we are? So we've seen the experience and the pursuit of the transgender narrative leads to, but how do we understand this? How do we take up our place in the story, in light of this. Well, let's look at the story of God and gender identity. Within the framework of the Christian story, within the framework of Orthodox Christianity and the writing specifically in the New Testament, we see that in God's view of humanity as male and female, that means the whole range of human experiences becomes open to us. Here's what I want us to think about that if God has actually given us brains, he's actually given us wisdom, then how can we take the pieces of culture, like our cultural moment, history, rightly understanding what's happened in history and our place in it, and the scriptures, 
What if we realize that often what is shaping and leading people towards transgenderism is the reality of stereotypes that are being thrust on men and women? Either a blanket affirmation or denial of the stereotypes is often what is leading people, often to homosexuality as well, but specifically to transgenderism. I think that gender stereotypes are one of the leading causes for why men and women, boys and girls, conclude they must be in the wrong body. So let's think about that. Culturally, historically, and in light of the scriptures, how do we unpack gender identity and the reality of stereotypes? What both research and real-life stories, real-life accounts, are telling us is that many people believe I am trapped in the wrong body because they're just not lining up with stereotypes being pressed onto them. Remember Brandon, who I mentioned earlier? Young boy who identifies more with emotional conversation, who preferred playing inside versus outside, who wasn't really into sports. Well, sadly, in our culture, if you are more inclined that way, you don't fit the masculine stereotype, you are often sidelined. And often people think, well, maybe you're gay or maybe you're transgender. And that's where I think one of the biggest offenders is the church. And we can own that. We can repent of that. We can seek to do business with maybe where we ourselves have participated in that. I think the church has often failed as it relates to giving a true view of what masculinity and femininity looks like. And that's why I think, sadly, many even in the church, are driven towards transgender thinking. The reason many seek to give allegiance to, the, to being authentic to their feelings is because they think that they failed and their body has failed. But all that's failed is a stereotype, which is really sad. I think we corporately, and maybe even you here, for us here at Redemption, we need to do business with the remnants of 19th century stereotypes of gender, work, even family, because this often is the thing that people are pushing, chafing against. And sadly, what happens in many churches, I pray that we are not a church that has done this, often churches do one of two things. They completely deconstruct gender and sex altogether so that there is no meaning and all are welcome. So gender and sex don't even mean anything. Or you say, this is what it means to be a man, and this is what it means to be a woman. Fit in to where you're supposed to fit in. We create such rigid stereotypes. So you either lose, in one sense, in one sense, both of them are unorthodox. In both of those, one of them is removing scripture. In another sense, one of them is adding to scripture. We bring and we add to scripture when we bring our own gender expectations to the forefront and call them truth. So what this means is that many of these feelings of alienation that specifically trans kids and teens feel is just that they're not feeling what the stereotype's telling them. But if we can recognize this, and help them realize that they're to take their identity actually from the good embodied gift that God has given them, that means that a boy or a girl can engage in a diverse range of behaviors without threatening their identity as a man or woman. So this is where I think even for all of us, like maybe right now, maybe on your drive to work, think about your own life. Think about your upbringing. Think about what your mom or dad told you. This is what men do. This is what women do. Are you aware of the culture you grew up in? What were men supposed to be like? What were women supposed to be like? What were the gender norms that were expected? Sadly, often more gentle or emotional men are seen as gay or trans. But interestingly enough, most of those guys probably gifted to be a really caring, nurturing person. We're going to get into this in a second, just like the greatest man who ever lived. Pause. Psychologists, counselors, healthcare workers, pastors, 
We need caring, nurturing men in those fields. And sadly, women are often seen as not able to take charge or not be rational or not be assertive because, oh, that's, that's masculine. So wrong. And I want you to hear this. If you are someone who does struggle with gender identity or does struggle with some type of gender dysmorphia, it's not you who's wrong. It's the stereotype. And if we dive into actually looking at some specific scriptures and looking at the New Testament specifically, what you realize, this is crazy, this blew me away as I reflected on this. The gifts of the Spirit, the way the Spirit empowers the church is not divided by gender. Many of our perceptions of masculine and feminine giftings are actually incredibly unbiblical. Prophecy and teaching are not masculine gifts. Mercy and service are not feminine gifts. If you'd like, turn in to 1 Corinthians 12, or you can just listen as I read this passage. I'd like you to consider this passage with fresh ears in light of what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. Again, this also blew my mind this week when I considered this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongue. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Circle this verse in your Bible. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All giftings are open to men and women. Men are not slotted for certain gifts. Women are not slotted for certain gifts. This is not erasing distinctions between men and women. Absolutely not. But this is saying the entire range of human personality and gifting is open to both sexes. The second thing that we see in the scriptures, I already alluded to this, is that even though culturally, especially our American aggressive manhood country that we live in, men are to be rough and tough and aggressive and take charge and commanding, maybe even a little bullying is to be accepted. What do we see, though, about the greatest man who ever lived? Here's what he says about himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The greatest man who ever lived, who perfectly defined masculinity, says I'm gentle and lowly. To be a caring and soft-spoken man is a really good thing. It's putting you in the same camp as the greatest man who ever lived. Another thing that we see in the scriptures is, is that not only, Scott and I were briefly talking about this and there's so much more work that could be done on this specific thing I'm about to say, but I'm just gonna say it. Not only does Jesus himself affirm the goodness and worth of the female sex in his life, not only does Jesus affirm the goodness and worth and glory of the woman sex by being born of a woman, but in the Bible, we see women regularly breaking every stereotype of their culture. And it's commended. You ever hear of the Proverbs 31 woman? If any of you have been in the church for a while, I'm sure you've heard this Proverbs 31 woman cast in a lot of different ways. Let me tell you, she was not barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Nothing wrong with that. But we often think, well, that's what women are supposed to do. Not the Proverbs 31 woman. 
This woman was doing business. She was involved in the leading industry of the day. She was leading, managing, stewarding her household. She was doing all this work alongside of her husband. She didn't have a backseat role. I think we need to relook at what we think biblical femininity is supposed to look like. There are many, many more examples of God honoring men and women whose lives did not match the prevailing stereotypes of their day. But what we see throughout the Bible, this is the point I'm trying to make, is that the entire range of human personality traits is open to both sexes, both genders, which means it's okay if you don't line up with the gender norms around you. It really is okay. It's actually probably good that you're not just lining up. As a woman relating to a man or a man relating to a woman, the Bible is very clear of what our relationships are to look like and how you know who you are based on the body you have and how that relates to relationships outside of marriage, in the covenant of marriage, how you relate to each other as a brother and sister. Again, think about the Bible is just full of that kind of language showing us here's how men and women know who they are and relate to each other in light of that. I'm sending a secret message to Scott right now that we're going to do a whole other series on just gender specifically in the coming months. So I just want to say for us here at Redemption, specifically for those of us who care for our kids, so not just parents. Notice I didn't just say parents. All of you who are engaged in the care of our kids together. Are you training your kids, our kids, to be like a stereotype of masculinity or femininity? Are you even training kids to be like you? As if you were the standard of masculinity or femininity? Or are we encouraging our children to be who God is making them to be and to honor Jesus with both their body and their gifting and their personality? We shepherd our children well if we avoid thinking stereotypes are what is biblical. So this is where for the whole church, all of us, we need to ask, where do we get our definition of what men and women are supposed to be like? For some of us, you might have some repentance to do. You might even have some people that you maybe need to apologize to, repent to. Are you someone who mocks or belittles people who maybe don't line up with what you think, oh, well, this is what a man is supposed to do or this is what a woman is supposed to do? And again, I'm not calling you out. I'm trying to shame you. Maybe it's the spirit who's convicting you right now. But friends, we can repent of this and turn in celebration because Jesus is the one by his spirit who's opening our eyes to see things more clearly. So as we prepare to close, I just want us to consider a few ways that we can walk alongside each other in the midst of gender confusion. And again, there's so much more we could say on this. I have several excellent books and resources that have been really good companions to me this week. If you want those, I would gladly give those to you, read those with you, so come grab me afterwards if you want to talk more. But I just want to offer a few ways we can walk alongside each other in the midst of gender confusion. For those, of, for those with issues of gender confusion, gender dysmorphia, I want to say that we offer them acceptance and belonging by affirming the body and gender that they are in. The gender ideology of the trans community is truly empty of substance, but in Jesus, as we direct people to take their identity from their body, as we direct them to Jesus who himself took on a body, we there see a much more satisfying, restorative, and glorious story of gender. Our humanity in Jesus, as we become a new person in Jesus, we see an integration of body and soul where the trans community is telling us we need to divide body and soul. But if God has made us good, then our bodies themselves reveal the goodness of God. And ultimately, think about this. 
our God-given maleness and femaleness whisper to us of the gospel. They whisper to us of the gospel because God himself has taken up permanent residence in a body like ours. You realize right now that Jesus is in a body, right? You realize that, right? Like when he walked out in his new creation body, launching the beginning of the new creation at his resurrection, he took on a perfect body that he will be in forever. Someone who loves you that much, who's taken on a body forever, is telling you, your body is for your good. I myself stepped into one. If we offer our transgender friends that, there's a much more satisfying story than you need to change your body in order to match who you are. There's a lot more implications to tease out there of the reality of not just the incarnation, but the new creation body that Jesus is in. Another way that we can walk alongside specifically young people, again, this is maybe for parents and for all of those who are seeking to train and disciple our kids, normalize growing up struggles. Tell them again and again, you are not weird for thinking or feeling this. We help our kids by showing them that pains and frustrations of growing up are hard, but it's very normal. Tell your kids again and again, you are not weird for thinking this. Share, parents, your own stories of the awkward days of being 11 and the awkward days of being 14 or 17. Friends, what you're doing is you're incarnating Jesus to our kids when we do that. So any kids that are in your sphere of influence, give them that type of love and welcome and acceptance. Help them see that how you feel right now is not the end of your story. How you feel right now in these feelings and your body feels out of whack and your brain is telling you one thing and understanding your hormones and all the influences of school and kids around you, help them realize that all of that actually is gonna resolve itself. This is not how you're gonna feel forever. Even just statistically a data point Current data is showing us that 80 to 90% of kids find clarity and identity in their biological sex by the time they reach adulthood. 80 to 90% of these kids will actually resort to their biological sex by the time they're adults. That's 18. Help them see the big picture. And I will say, we teach our kids to reject the stereotypes, we teach them about the goodness of their body, but even if your kid transitions, even if your kid comes out as gay, even if they bring you these things and you don't know what to do with it, the answer is always secure love in your family. There is no rejection. There is no saying, I'm not gonna go to the family picnic if they bring such and such. There is no place for that. Secure love within your family is always the right answer. And just don't assume. Don't assume you know a transgender person's story just because you've heard one person's story. Don't assume you know the pain. Don't assume you know what it's like. Incarnate Jesus, be a listener, ask good questions. Say, I don't know what that's like. Can you help me understand that? So as we go to close and the band can come up if they'd like. The trans community and the entire LGBTQ plus community is offering us a good news story. Think about this. They are telling us a story that has a fall, it has a longing for resurrection, it has a longing for connection. The LGBTQ plus community, think about this. They are saying, believe this and you will receive a new name a new identity, a new body, and a new and loving community. They are being offered a gospel. Absolutely. But yet in Jesus. We know his story 
is not only true, but it's ultimately more fulfilling. That it is the good news that trumps all other good news. And this is why we can walk alongside people, not arrogantly, not lording over them, but calling them welcome. The last thing I'm going to say, the church is to be a place where the casualties of the sexual revolution, the casualties of the LGBTQ plus community, the church is to be the place that they should be able to come. The church is the place where people can find healing, hope, and a new identity. But we have to ask ourselves, if when they come, will we welcome them? Next week, we're going to be doing a, a panel Q&A uh, with uh, some other, I would call them experts, on some of these topics and other sexuality issues in the church. So if you have specific questions that you'd like to send to me or to Scott, we will maybe try to address those next week. But then also after next week, we'll have a concluding series or sermon to this series. And so if you have other questions, we're going to have two spaces. We're going to try to answer that. So please make sure as you have questions, if you want us to address certain things, let us know that. Let me pray for us. We're going to sing together. Jesus, we do thank you that the reality of your story is not just imprinted in us through our allegiance with you, but now, Jesus, you call us to embody your very life and love to the world around us. So, Jesus, give us grace, we pray. Give us so much deep empathy that we will go to people that normally we wouldn't know how to go to. Give us so much deep love that we can even repent of where our own views of stereotypes or what a man or woman is supposed to look like, that we can repent of those things, Jesus. I ask, Jesus, that Redemption Church would be a place where every man, woman, child finds love and affirmation and welcome because of Jesus. So even now as we sing, Jesus, would you, would you be the one who continues to speak to our hearts? Pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.